Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. This sounds like it's a dream competition, but it's a God competition. And here Nebuchadnezzar is asking, demanding the most difficult proof for God that anyone has ever asked for. The stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel in the fiery furnace are well known. Not just stories though, they are accounts of the real life of the young man Daniel. Who was this bloke who survived his encounter with the lions and resolved to honour God above everything else? When we consider Daniel and we note that in the book of Ezekiel it describes Daniel as one of the three greatest men to have ever walked the planet. That's a profound assessment of this young man. What was it about Daniel that caused him to be considered one of the greatest men to have ever lived? To have ever lived. What were the factors that made Daniel a great man? We saw in chapter 1 that his resolve where he stood up to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he did so because of reasons of loyalty to God. He didn't have a youth pastor looking over his shoulder. He didn't have a pastor looking over his shoulder. He didn't have his mum and dad looking over his shoulder. Here, this 15, give or take two or three years either side of that young man, has made a resolve that he's going to follow Christ, follow God, despite what the crowd have done. And we see at the very foundation of his life, Daniel had a very deep and profound relationship with the Lord. We're going to see that he's going to make some decisions to the end of this section. That means the close friendship he's got with his three mates is almost guaranteed to be over. He will not have his three friends beyond this point because of a decision that he makes for their good. Daniel's three friends are sent throughout the provinces of Babylon. And so he's alone. But we observe something profound in Daniel. He's alone, but never lonely. And there's a difference. Daniel had a deeply profound relationship with the Lord that meant, despite sometimes the overwhelming sense of loneliness that we all face, he knew he wasn't alone. I think some of us could do with that reassurance as well. Daniel saw all aspects of his life. We saw this in chapter 1 as worship to the Lord. So it says he was skilled in learning, skilled in reading literature. It's quite possible that Daniel had read just about every major piece of literature that was available in his day. And he didn't just do it to be a smarty pants. He did it because he loved God. He didn't see coming to the temple on the weekend as what constituted worship. For Daniel, worship was not just what he did on a Sunday, it's what you do on a Monday. Worship wasn't just about lifting your hands, worship was what you do with your hands. Everything for Daniel was worship and for God's glory. It says in chapter 1 verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams can you see the left brain right brain thing happening there Daniel was someone who was 
intellectual because he applied himself but he was also someone who was deeply spiritual the word of god can be both light and it can be fire you can have light to illuminate but fire to burn that passion verse 19 it says this and the king spoke with them and among all of them none was found like daniel hananiah mishael azariah therefore they stood before the king now notice this we are introduced to daniel and his three friends with their hebrew names their jewish names and we're going to see in a moment these names meant something but almost immediately the story is set up where we're told in chapter one the king removed their names they were given different names and you might think oh well they've just it's like saul the hebrew pharisee becomes paul the apostle of jesus saul is a hebrew name paul is a greek name what's the big deal they just got babylonian names not quite i want to show you something about what happened there it wasn't just a renaming something else is going on there in fact for a jewish boy like daniel this would have been a huge indignity they suffered the indignity of having their names taken from them and the names they were given were pagan names you see these names that they had i've given the meanings here just so you've got a little bit of background to it this is what they grew up you see we say daniel but when they said daniel they meant god is my judge did you know that and so we have hananiah god has been gracious to me we have mishael he who comes from god these are good names aren't they azaria the lord is my helper so this this was where they came from this is their names and they probably wore these names like a badge of honor Daniel 1.20, moving through chapter 1, it says this, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Now, here's what their names were changed to. Verse 7, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. By the way, the chief of the eunuchs is their boss how much imagination do you need to realize what the king's done to daniel and his three friends and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names daniel he called belteshazzar hananiah he called shadrach mishael he called meshach azariah he called it's not abendigo it's abednego or abednego and it's actually a hyphenated name in the hebrew and i'll show you why so this is what their names were changed to belt to shazar in chaldee which is babylonian means the treasure of bel bel was one of the babylonian deities can you see what's just happened to daniel he's been, he's had this rich name and he's now got he now has to every day wear a name that gives honor to a pagan god that he despises shadrach in chaldee means the inspiration of the sun and the sun was one of the babylonian deities can you you see how this is an indignity for these young boys abed 
Nego in Chaldee means the servant of Nego. That's how we know it's a hyphenated name. Abed Nego. The servant of Nego. Nego is a Babylonian deity. Um, they, they worship the planets. But this is what's happened to Daniel. His land has been taken over. He's been taken to a foreign place. Imagine if the king changes your names to mean things that you despise. What would your attitude be? How would you respond if that was what had happened to you? Because what I want you to see is we're calling Daniel the diplomat prophet. Because this young man has phenomenal wisdom. He didn't do what you or I would probably do. You know what I'd do? I'd just get cranky, sooky, get just I'd act like an Aussie. But Daniel doesn't display Aussie. He displays a wisdom beyond his nationality and he encourages his three friends to do the same. So this is quite interesting. He, in doing so, he ends up becoming a witness to God. He de- and we're about to see that God used Daniel to demonstrate to the then ruler of the world the power of God. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 2 says there is no other God apart from the God of Daniel. There is no other God. So here's Daniel bearing the name of a foreign god. And at the end of chapter 2, we're going to see the king who renamed them says, basically, I'm sorry, there is no other god. So it's an amazing thing. How did we get there? We got there because Daniel knew which mountains were worth dying on. He knew which hills to fight on. He didn't sweat the small stuff worth thinking about. All right, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Down to verse 4. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. So before in scripture, we've had various kings, pagan kings, dream dreams, where they've told the dream and asked people, tell me what it means. Most famously is the dreams of Pharaoh, who Joseph interpreted the dream. So Pharaoh had two dreams. You remember the, the seven uh, fat cows that were swallowed by the seven skinny cows, the seven ripe heads of uh, grain that were withered and became seven uh, withered uh, heads of grain and Joseph interpreted it. Well, that's in one sense, that's kind of easy. Hear the dream? Yeah, I I could figure this out. There you go. But in this instance, you know what's happened? Nebuchadnezzar has had this horrible nightmare and he is not telling anyone what it is. And he says, unless you can tell me what this is and its interpretation, you'll be executed. Now, in essence, you could hear that and go, wow tough crowd this is a tall order in but there's something else going on here you see these magicians are probably it's a it's let me pull a rabbit out of a hat is not what we're talking about we're talking about pagan priests we're talking about priests to these pagan deities jupiter and bell and these guys and these all these claim that their god was better and and well let's Put all you guys to the test. Ask your God what my dream was. And then ask your God what it means. 
So really, this sounds like it's a dream competition, but it's a God competition. And here Nebuchadnezzar is asking, demanding the most difficult proof for God that anyone has ever asked for. I cannot think of any any more difficult test in all of Scripture than what we're about to read in Daniel chapter 2. Again, this is what qualifies Daniel for being one of the greatest men to have ever lived. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid in ruins. Probably not the kind of guy to be trifled with. Verse 10, and the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Whenever, whenever, Whenever I begin to hear people say it can't be done, I begin to smell the fragrance of God. Only God. Only God can do the utterly impossible. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Down to verses 17, start of verse 18. Then Daniel, who heard about this, went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. I love the fact that he's not calling them the Babylonian names, just by the way. His companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So again, we've seen Daniel was not a maverick. He was not someone out there trying to be the Lone Ranger. Not, he's not trying to be a James Bond Christian. He, he's trying to be someone who's in community with others. And now he's drawing on the strength that comes from that community. So he asks his friends to pray. He prays and then he does something profoundly spiritual. He asked his friends to pray with him as he went to sleep. And God revealed to Daniel nebuchadnezzar's mysterious dream and this is what daniel told nebuchadnezzar he dreamt of a very tall statue in verse 32 the head of this image was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver its middle and thighs of bronze its legs of iron its feet partly of iron and partly of clay as you looked daniel told nebuchadnezzar a stone was cut out but by no human hand And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay and the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. Get that? This huge statue and a tiny, tiny little stone strikes the feet. That's, that's the dream. It, it would be a confusing dream. How could a little tiny stone cause that whole thing to crumble? Okay, so that's, that's the dream. So let's run through it. Head of gold. We've got a chest of silver. We've got the middle of bronze. We've got the legs of iron. And then we've got the feet, a mixture of iron and clay, which of course doesn't mix so it says in verse 41 as you saw the feet of toes and partly of potter's clay and partly of iron it shall be it shall be a divided kingdom but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it 
just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And then Daniel goes on, not to leave any vagueness about this he says let me tell you what each of these represent and he says this the head of gold is you nebuchadnezzar it's the babylonian empire now what's interesting of all these all represent empires in sequential order as we're going to see this is daniel writing in the 500s bc and he writes exactly what is to come over the next 600 years with incredible detail which has caused many people to think that daniel must have been written this entire book of daniel must have been written around 200 ad and then manuscripts started turning up proving that it was written in the uh the sixth century or so bc so we have irrefutable proof that this is what it claims to be so we go through this this is what daniel told him you are the head of gold and there's a reason for that which we might get to the chest of silver was the kingdom that is to come the medo-persian empire it's actually described not just prophesied it's described in daniel we read about it in chapters five and six then there's the middle of bronze and it's the greek empire so if you know anything about how the world empires you've got alexander who established from his father philip the greek world empire the hellenistic hellenistic means greek the greek world empire when alexander died i think he was what around about the age of 31 when he died his kingdom was divided among his four generals the four generals formed a a a sort of a two and a two thing happened and two of them went to the north of the mediterranean two of them went to the south you may have heard of mark antony and cleopatra they were they were kind of descended from the two they were in in the south in egypt and then you've got these guys in the north and you may have heard of the caesar family julius comes from that family and these are the guys that came from these guys and eventually they fight and eventually these guys win and form the next one the roman empire and then we have this strange event just before a little rock comes and it's the mixture of iron and clay and that speaks of the collusion between the then roman empire and the high priests of jerusalem and you might think wow where'd you get that from well israel is spoken of as being the earth or clay it refers to them as being the people of the land and they actually did form a union to put christ to death they thought they were stomping on a little stone and the prophecy that we have here is that they weren't they weren't stomping on the stone the stone was striking their feet and it is an utterly remarkable picture of the stone that struck them jesus the insignificant carpenter from galilee who they thought well good riddance he's gone we've crucified him he's out of the way but his kingdom he told pilate was not of this world and his kingdom his he told his disciples would be like a little bit of leaven that once it's into the lump the lump of bread spreads throughout the whole lump 
In other words, the kingdom of Jesus Christ has outshone all of the previous kingdoms because it has lasted at this stage so far about 2,000 years. It is in every, just about every country, at least every continent of the world, and it has billions of subjects in it which far outshones any of these kingdoms. So... Verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, Jesus, that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It's an amazing passage, and it speaks of Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen over the the next little bit but then daniel's telling the world it's not just about empires it's about god's son coming the little rock as we bring this to a to a close i want you to think about daniel and what's going on here would have taken a lot of guts wouldn't it to walk up to the king and say i've got the i've got i've, I've got your dream <laughs> i've got your dream and i've got the interpretation knowing that if you get if you get this wrong I, I, I have an allergy to having limbs torn from limb, from limb. I don't know about you, it's one of the allergies I've got. And there would have been a little bit of reluctance on my part, but not with Daniel. He gives it. And this is what I want you to consider. In all of this, Daniel didn't take the or option. What do I mean by the or option? I hear people talk about this all the time. I could go to church today or I could, for Daniel, he may have heard this. Oh, Daniel, you're such a a head person. I'm more a heart person. Well, for Daniel, it wasn't a matter of being either a head person or a heart person. For Daniel, that wasn't the options for him. He didn't take the or option. It wasn't a matter of being spiritual or intellectual. That wasn't how he saw life. For Daniel, it wasn't a matter of being diplomatic or being prophetic. Diplomatic means you're polite. In fact, the word politics, believe it or not, comes from the root word polite. Who would have thought? And for Daniel, he, he wasn't going to either be polite or tell the truth. For Daniel, it wasn't a matter of being polite or diplomatic or prophetic. That wasn't his options. His name was changed. He's in Babylon. He's in a different culture, different food, different music, different ways of worship. By the way, because of Daniel's input into Babylon, the seeds of a thought were planted in Babylon that led to the Magi coming to find Jesus 500 years later. Just by the way. And here we have Daniel. For him, it's not a matter of, am I Jewish? Or am I Babylonian? And perhaps for most of us, that may not be our issue. But there are people here who you weren't born here. You weren't born in Australia. And perhaps for you, that may be your battle. Am I whatever? Or am I Australian? For Daniel, that wasn't his equation. For Daniel, he had learned the power of and. What do we mean by that? He'd learned that you can be intellectual and spiritual you can learn and develop your mind as well as pray 
Read God's word and develop your spirit. Learn to hear God. Learn to sense God. Learn to be in the spirit as well as be well read. For Daniel, he learned how to be diplomatic and prophetic. He learned that you can be polite at the same time as tell the truth. Daniel had learned that you can be Jewish and Babylonian. And picking up on the prophecy that Jeremiah had given that Daniel is aware of in Daniel in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we, we quote this one, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. He goes on and says, so therefore pray for Babylon that it may prosper. And Daniel would have done that. He would have said, I'm Jewish and I'm Babylonian. This is now my home. And he died there. He never did return to Israel. He never turned, returned to Jerusalem. He became a Babylonian. But at the same time, he continued to be Jewish. So these are things that Daniel did along the journey, and they're rare qualities. I don't see these a lot. And I, I've, got to, I've got to tell you, I look at these and I go, he's the benchmark. Apart from Christ, Daniel's the benchmark for how we can get on in a hostile world. And I suspect that our world is going to become increasingly hostile toward Christians, and we need to be more like Daniel. But that's not where it started. It didn't just start with him choosing the end. It's, it started here where he fully surrendered to god he fully surrendered to god the, the effect is quite profound when we when we read the closing verses of daniel we read in verse 47 of chapter 2 nebuchadnezzar saying this the king answered and said to daniel truly your god is the god of gods and the lord of lords he's the king or lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery to me. That's why we say this was not a, a dream contest. This was a God contest. And because God had used Daniel with the power of and, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed. And we're going to see in chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar eventually humbles himself. He has a Mortimer J. Adler experience. He knows up here that the God of Daniel is the real Daniel. But it hasn't entered his heart until chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar surrenders to God. And I believe that's why he was attributed as being the head of gold. The only one of those world emperors to submit to God. But Daniel fully surrendered to God. And that's where it starts, church. That's where it starts. And this is what I've discovered. You can be a Christian and go... I know Jesus wants me to, but I'm not, there's no way. And you can hold back. And today I want to encourage you and I want to encourage my own soul not to be like that, but to fully trust Jesus and to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. And here's my question. Will you please make this a day where you trust Jesus by saying, I surrender to you. I give you my life. Let's pray. Father, as pastor of this church, as we head into this year, I give you my life. Have your way in my soul. Help me to care for people the way you want me to care for them. Help me to lead in a way you want me to lead. 
God, help me to preach in a way that will build people up, not tear people down. Help me because, Lord, I fully surrender to you. And for some of you here today, you think, but if I fully surrender to God, he's going to take my gifts and abilities and talents and squash them. No, he won't, actually. In fact, I'd have to say that's a lie of the enemy because God is the one who's given you gifts, talents and abilities. And when you fully surrender to him, you will find a release and a satisfaction and a sense of fulfillment in using those for his glory that you do not currently enjoy. And perhaps you're like Mortimer J. Adler or Nebuchadnezzar in the early days. You've got a head knowledge of God, but you've never given him your heart. Will you? Will you surrender your heart to him? One prayer, a prayer that says, Jesus, please forgive me of the sin that I've committed, the life that I've led. Forgive me and come into my life because I want to live for you from this point on. Use me, I pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How does someone become like Daniel? Well, it doesn't happen overnight and it's nothing to do with good luck. It has much to do with Daniel's personal experience of God. More from Dr. Corbett next week on The Life of Daniel. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.